In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text for this morning's sermon is the Gospel appointed for this last Sunday of the church year. The Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our Lord will come again and the world as we know it will end. I encourage you to contemplate that for a moment. To some extent, the world has maybe contemplated the possibility of its end of late, simply because of a foreign war in which one nation has nuclear weapons and has thinly veiled made thinly, thinly veiled threats to use them. And so the doomsday sayers talk about how many minutes to midnight and saying that the world is that much closer to destruction. The world will end. I doubt that it's going to happen this week. But the world will end, and it could be this week. No one knows. The wise do not simply give dogmatic assent to this truth. Rather, the wise plan their lives accordingly. They live their lives in anticipation of the glory which is soon to come whatever that soon word may mean. Our parable begins with the words, at that time. This means simply, at the time 
of our Lord's coming again in glory for us at the time of the end of the world. Scripture describes our Lord as a bridegroom and the church as His bride. We get pictures of this in the book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride arrayed in her jewels for her husband. In today's reading, in this morning's Gospel, our Lord is again depicted as the bridegroom, but this time each individual member of the visible church is depicted as a virgin, as a potential bride. I say each individual member of the visible church because as we hear in this parable, not everyone who outwardly claims to believe in Christ actually has true saving faith. St. James speaks the word of warning. You believe there is one God? Good, even the demons believe that and tremble. All ten of these virgins knew that the bridegroom was coming. None of them were ignorant about the groom or the imminent wedding feast. None of them stated that they outright believed, nah, the bridegroom's never going to come. None indicated that they were disinterested in the marriage to the bridegroom. None were people that we would consider unbelievers. Each of them stands for someone who, as far as we can tell, looks like a Christian. But what we see and what God sees are two different things. I can be lied to. I can be fooled. So can you. God sees the truth of things. Christ has been made available to all of these virgins in the parable through faith. And they are us. Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins has been proclaimed to us. At one time or another, every confirmed member of this church has stood before the altar and stated that they believe the saving gospel of Christ and that the Bible is the Word of God and that the small catechism and Lutheran doctrine in general are correct explanations of what God has revealed to us in His Word. The ten virgins represent believers. They represent us. But Jesus Christ Himself describes half of them as foolish. 
They are foolish because they don't take oil along for their lamps. Every year when this text comes up, it's a good opportunity to explain how weddings worked at the time of Jesus. A bridegroom prepared a banquet at the home where he and his bride were going to live. The longer the banquet lasted, the more prominent a position this man would have in the community probably for the rest of his life. That's why at the wedding feast of Cana, when they run out of wine and Jesus miraculously makes plenty more, Jesus was very much raising a wedding feast from the dead on the third day of something. It doesn't explain what. Once everything was prepared, the bridegroom would go get his bride, usually at the home of her parents, and escort her through the streets to his home. And then, the party would begin. When it was all over, the couple would be considered married and would live together from then on as husband and wife. That's just how it was done. The procession usually occurred at night. People involved used oil-burning lamps to see by. Obviously, they would need enough oil to keep their lamps burning for as long as the procession lasted. So back to our parable. All ten of the virgins knew the bridegroom was coming, yet only five took that seriously enough to have adequate oil reserves on hand. In order to understand this parable, we need to understand that the oil depicts the saving grace of God. All ten of these virgins had enough oil to get their lamps going. Only five had a supply to keep them going. All of us, I hope, have been baptized. God uses baptism to light the flame of faith in Christ within us. He gives us the gift of His saving grace, washes our sins away, makes us His children right then and there. But when our Lord first commanded baptism, that wasn't all He did. The command to baptize was one of two dependent clauses to the actual command to make disciples. So, He, made, he commanded them to make disciples by baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things 
whatsoever I have mandated to you. The oil that gets us going. The means of grace that first gives us the grace... I'm sorry, the means of grace that first gives us the grace of God and brings us to faith is baptism. Usually. Sometimes it is the hearing of the Word and then they're baptized. The next means of grace by which He keeps our flames burning is His Word, particularly the Word of Gospel, the Word that declares our sins forgiven us. That Word itself points us to a third means of grace, the gift of the crucified body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, also for the forgiveness of sins. These are the oil sources, the grace sources, or to use words a little more normal sounding to our Lutheran ears, these are the means of grace. The Word, Baptism, and Holy Communion. Particularly, of course, the Word of Gospel and particularly, particularly, the Word of Holy Absolution which you hear when you confess your sins. That's where we get God's grace. That's what keeps our lamps burning. One very revealing aspect of this parable is the plea of the five foolish virgins to the five wise ones to give us some of your oil. In keeping with the story nature of the parable, they say, oh, there may not be enough for both of us, but the point is it's not transferable. I can't believe for you You can't believe for your children. You can't believe for your spouse or for your siblings. Each one must believe for himself. Each one must have this oil of grace of their own. You can't get it from someone else. You can't borrow it. The only way to receive the grace of God is individually personally, through baptism, through the hearing of the Word, particularly the Word of Holy Absolution, and finally, through the reception of Holy Communion. In that regard, I would like to point you back to this morning's epistle. It speaks of living as children of the day rather than engaging in those acts that are so shameful, we would only do them under the cloak of darkness. It talks about staying sober and alert. It talks about putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. But then it concludes with... Comfort each other and edify 
one another, just as you also are doing. Our Lord's parable speaks of the last day. By then, if you don't have enough oil, it's too late. Until then, we can comfort and edify one another. In other words, we can encourage each other to stock up on oil so that we and others don't run dry. Don't run dry on faith. How do we do that? Well, by all means, be encouraging each other to come to church and receive our Lord's saving gifts and also to attend Bible study. I honestly don't know when I call people that I haven't seen for a while. If anyone else in church has done that too. But I certainly encourage you to do that. There are people who will think, well, of course, pastor's doing this. He gets paid to. If someone else in the congregation calls, they may think, oh, they really care. I encourage you, assist me in this. If there's someone you need, you know, needs a phone call, give them one. They're easy to make. Beyond that, speak to one another about the joy of your salvation. My sins are forgiven me. Eternal life is mine. And whether Christ comes again soon by our definition, or whether I go to be with Him in due course, I know that I will be at the right hand of Jesus on the last day. And that I will be rejoicing in His presence forever. It's not that hard to say that to each other. I invite you to be free about doing so. It snowed in Missouri. It got cold here. So easy to talk about the weather. Why can't it be just that easy to talk about the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. Don't just tend to your own self, although by all means do that. But tend to each other as well. As opportunity arises, speak to others too. It pushes beyond the point of the parable. But how about be one of the virgins that says to one of the other five, you know, you really ought to get some more oil. It is getting dark out there. 
I'm told about a year ago that for the first time, over 50% of Americans don't have an organized religious affiliation whatsoever. And I'm not talking just Orthodox Christianity. They're not Mormon. They're not Jewish. They're not Muslim. They're not Hindu. They're not anything. Shine the light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ into our ever more darkened and deceived world. Dear ones in Christ, for many, we may be their last chance. It would be most foolish to try to calculate how much oil would be just barely enough. What if you don't get the mathematics of grace quite right? The wise thing to do is to make sure that you have more than enough. It would be foolish to say, I have baptism. I don't need to go to church for God's Word. Receive Holy Communion. That's roughly what the foolish virgin said. It'd be foolish to say, I pay good attention to the sermon. I do not desire the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Or vice versa. I'm very careful to examine myself correctly before Holy Communion. I can sleep through the sermon. Two great supplies of oil. Two great sources of the saving grace of God. Be wise. Take it all. The Word of God delivers the saving message of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. What more precious oil can there be to keep the flame of faith burning brightly? Therefore, attend to it. Come to church. Listen to the sermon. Such as you are able, I encourage you very much, come to Bible class. Teach your children the catechism, your grandchildren. Read and study your Bibles at home. Holy Communion delivers the sin-forgiving, crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself to you. What more precious oil is there to keep the flame of faith burning brightly to strengthen you in true faith toward Thee and in fervent love toward one another as we pray at the end of every communion. Luther wrote in the introduction to the small catechism, if anyone does not seek or desire the Lord's Supper at least four times a year, it is to be feared that he is not a Christian. Don't misunderstand that like some of our forebears did. To mean, oh, that means Luther said we should go to communion four times a year. No, he didn't. So aim for that as a bare minimum. Desire it at least that much. Come when you can. Woe to any who ask such a foolish question. How little oil can I get and still have enough? How much wiser 
to receive this precious oil as often as you can. And how wise also to insist that it be offered often. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace that comes from the cross and gets to you in baptism and in Holy Communion and in the hearing of the Word. Someone once said, the man who does not live what he believes does not believe. Now be careful of that. We all believe and in some ways we all fail to live what we believe because of the weakness of our old sinful nature. Nevertheless, in our parable, half of the virgins who claimed to believe did not live what they believed. They did not, their knowledge was not faith. Their failure to keep their oil reserves full went beyond weakness into the realm of apathy and finally unbelief. At the critical moment of the bridegroom's call, they were unprepared. Their so-called faith was shown to be nothing but foolishness, even greater that they had the knowledge and didn't act on it. What a terrible thing for the Lord to return for His bride only to find that half, or that, for that matter, any percentage, of people who outwardly claimed to be Christians had allowed their faith to burn out, choked off by the cares and concerns of this world. Sad indeed. An eternal communion ceremony. And notice that in eternity, they practice closed communion, so to speak. The door was shut, it says. The foolish virgins were closed out and the door would not be opened again. Dear ones in Christ, for you, take heart. For you, our Lord's coming again will be a joyful celebration. You are the closed-in ones. You are those among whom the law has done its work, having brought you to repentance. You are the ones who have heard the word of the gospel, the good news that the bridegroom was sacrificed on the cross to save his bride. You have received the holy faith. And you're here this morning to receive more of that saving grace, more of that oil, because you still embrace it. Be comforted then. Christ did die on the cross for you and for the sin of the world. Be comforted. You are baptized. Be comforted yet more. The saving word of the Gospel has been proclaimed in your hearing. And behold, the body and blood of Christ will be distributed to you momentarily.
Blessed are you for your oil reserves continue to be filled. The grace of God is continuing to be imparted to you. Therefore, on this last day of the church year, look forward with longing expectation to the last day in the history of this world. It is coming when I don't know, but it is coming. For in that day, you shall be filled not with terror, but with exceedingly great joy as you are welcomed into the eternal wedding banquet of our Bridegroom, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.